Welcome to this week's episode of Forge in the Word with Trevor Whitman. Now, over the past few weeks, you, you may have heard me be critical of some issues that I have with how the current church is operating, specifically the Western church in America. And I just want to give you some context of where I've come from, especially the last couple of years, where I'm at currently, some observations of the system that drives the Western church in 2020, and where we go from here. You see, I don't want to be the type of person that points out problems but doesn't bring solutions. You know, I know that there are always going to be flaws in the church. And the reason why is because humans that are imperfect and broken are going to be leading those places. And so today's podcast is not me trying to say that I expect the church to be perfect. Not even close. What I feel needs to be addressed is that the church in America or the Western church, however you want to define it, has some things that are going on that are running rampant through denominations, churches, big, small, issues that are arising more and more frequently, or maybe they've been there for a while, but they're just now being revealed There is a cultural problem, multiple cultural problems that are going on within the church that aren't being addressed on a wide scale. And people are being hurt because of that. And I was one of them. I am one of them. And so I want to communicate my heart right off the bat. This podcast is not meant as an indictment It's not meant as condemnation. And so if you tuned into this week to hear some dirt on some individuals or on a specific church, you might as well turn it off now because that's not what I'm doing today. I am going to talk about my story from the last couple years. I am going to go into some detail, but I'm going to do it heavily redacted because this podcast is not meant as a form of vengeance or revenge. I don't have any malice in my heart. I've had to heal through a lot to get to this point where I don't have those things in my heart. But I want you to hear this, that I'm coming from a place of authenticity that I've prepared for this week differently than I prepared for any other week of podcasts I've ever done or any message I've ever preached. Because I take it that seriously to teach and to talk in a way that is glorifying to the Lord and that isn't sinful And that isn't tearing down anybody or the body. But there are some truths that need to be spoken. And we see throughout scripture, there are places where prophets and disciples, men of God, women of God, where they call out things that are happening in their current state that we need to repent for. And I say we there intentionally. Because it is we. It is us. I'm a part of the body. And as much as I've been hurt, in the last few years, and every ounce of me wants to distance myself from that body, I can't. And I won't. Because we are all in this together. We are all a part of the body. So my story begins when I get saved around second or third grade, grew up in a non-denominational Baptist-leaning church, 
And I got to be honest, I, I didn't realize how well they were doing things until I left. Man, how, how true can that be sometimes? I look at how the leadership operates now. My parents still go to this church and I'm floored by the integrity and the character that is used to lead this church. And it's not a big church, a couple hundred people, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's not a mega church, definitely not. But it is a body that seeks the Lord in how to run the church, how to bring on elders, how to teach the word, how to correct one another, how to deal with doctrinal issues. And no church is perfect, right? However, I do want to say this before we get into more of the mess, is that I believe that what I'm about to talk about today is beneficial for everyone to hear. And there are going to be some people that are more convicted by it or less convicted by it, depending on where they're at. Not all of it's going to be applicable to the body that you're a part of. You may listen to some of this and go, yeah, we don't have that problem at our church. And I say, praise God. Praise God. But the issues that I've seen within ministry, myself, first person, I'm not depending on third person knowledge. There's some things that need to be talked about. And so this church that I grew up in, I'm sure they have their issues. They're imperfect people. But what they do, from what I've been able to tell, is pretty rare. You see, I went to college at Multnomah University, graduated with a biblical studies and theology degree. And a part of that degree, which Multnomah did and I really appreciate, is they challenge you to attend many different types of denominations, many different types of services. There's literally homework assignments for multiple classes that require you to go to different denominations than you attend. And I took that seriously. Not everybody did, but I did. Because I wanted to experience the church in all its different facets. Whether that was a different denomination, whether that was a different culture or different ethnicity that was predominant in the church. And I feel like I, I gained a lot. I gained a lot through those experiences. And so I graduated from Multnomah. And right out of college, I was a teacher at a private school. And I was a Bible teacher at the middle school level. And I did that for three years. And I loved every minute. I loved teaching. I loved coaching. And I got to do that to the nth degree for three years. But during that third year, I felt the Lord really tugging at my heart that he really wanted me to go into full-time ministry, whatever that looked like. And so an opportunity came up where my wife and I were attending a satellite church of a mega church in the area that the school was connected with. And we had been attending there for a year or two. And a position came open where they needed a children's pastor. And although I wasn't particularly psyched <laughs> about being a children's pastor, I'm just being honest, the Lord called me to do it. And so I did it to the best of my ability. And I went in and, and I went hard and I, I studied and I prepared and I did everything I could to love on those kiddos and, and help them and help them know God and to teach them God's word and to have some fun. And I was a part of that as well as being a director of one of their major outreach events that they do every year. That's this massive production that they put on. And I was one of a few directors 
that put on that event. And so I had this really unique perspective because I was a children's pastor at a satellite church and I was a director of this massive outreach event at the main church. And so at this main church, which is definitely a mega church, I started seeing some themes pop up everywhere. And what was weird was I feel like I worked with some phenomenal people, people that I still have great respect for today. Those people have not lost my respect. There are plenty of people at that mega church that I used to work with, that used to be there, that are still currently there, that I love dearly as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think they're doing great work for the kingdom. I support them. I love them. And man, I I saw some great things some great things happen at this church. And even though that was true, even though I was surrounded by great people, great ministry and great programs, all of a sudden, I started witnessing some shushing, if you know what I mean. Where all of a sudden, you walk around a corner and people hush what they're talking about. You hear some things, but I don't really like rumors Believe it or not, I'm going to talk to you about this whole story, uh, but I hate drama. It's not my thing. I absolutely hate it. I try to get through it as quickly as possible if I find myself in the middle of something like this. And yet all of a sudden there started being whispers about sexual abuse that was happening in the church from the highest positions. Attending financial meetings, I saw that I really disagreed with the management of the tithe money. I saw that there was some abuse of power that was happening. I saw some spiritual abuse, some mental abuse where people were being taken advantage of that were on staff that just didn't have a strong voice. And as I started witnessing these things, all of a sudden, a lot of evidence came to light about some that were in leadership where there was some pretty substantial, substantial sexual abuse allegations sexual harassment allegations. I mean, you've heard it in the news. I mean, you could live anywhere in the country and you hear something like this happening all the time. And so what's difficult for me is that I know that this isn't the only place where this type of behavior was happening. And so what happened was, is there was a a guy on staff that I deeply respect still to this day that had evidence, lots of it, Lots of it, multiple women, multiple instances, text messages, emails, all the things. And he brought it to the board as he should. He didn't go public. He didn't go on social media. He didn't take it to the news. He took it to the board and said, hey, this is what's going on. These people are being hurt. This leadership is acting in a way that is completely unbiblical. And man, I'd love to see you guys do something about it. So the board took it and they decided that they didn't want to take any action. They didn't want to investigate any further. They decided that they didn't want to look into it. And so obviously a failure of that board to take those types of allegations seriously with plenty of evidence. It wasn't just hearsay. And so then he, the same individual went to the governing body of this denomination Right? This denomination had a, has a governing body and a governing board. And he took it to them. And he said, hey, this type of behavior is happening and it's happening a lot 
at this mega church. I've been in, on staff for a number of years and I have seen things happen that I'm uncomfortable with. I have people that are close to me that have been affected by this. I have people that have been hurt by these individuals. And he took it to the denomination. And they looked into it a little bit to give them some credit. They looked into it more so than the board did. But they still, at the end of that investigation, they said, hey, we're not going to pursue this any further. We're not going to investigate this any further. We can't prove anything, even though we have evidence. And so we saw the governing body fail to act. And so what we see at this church, and granted, I'm sure there was more issues going on, but these are just the ones that I was privy to, is that we see sexual abuse on a large scale in multiple different ways, right? Not even just affairs, but sexual harassment and sexual manipulation and abuse of power and abuse of their authority and their position. There was a mismanagement of tithe money of how much was being paid to salaries. You've probably heard me talk about this on previous podcasts where pastors are making over 200K a year, which I definitely disagree with. I don't think that's anywhere in scripture. I don't think it's supported anywhere. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And so what happened was, is this satellite church that I was a part of, they were a part of bringing those allegations forward. And so what happened was, is we saw that that was not being taken seriously and didn't feel like we could be under the leadership that was there that was abusing people. And so we decided to break off and do it ourselves, separate from the megachurch and form a church of our own that didn't have a governing body, that didn't even have a board for the first like six months that it was in existence. And then the board was only one person for a few years after that. And then it finally grew to three people before what happened next. And so what happened was, is we transitioned from the megachurch to our own church. We started doing it our own way. We start using our own resources and, and doing it the way that we really felt led by God that we were supposed to do it. And for that first year, it was fantastic. For that first year, we had our heads down. There was plenty to do, plenty of work to be done, plenty of building to be done. And so we didn't really have time to evaluate what was happening under our own roof. And you see what happened is after a year of us being out on our own and hardly anybody believing us as we left about what the things that were transpiring at the other church that we were a part of was the truth finally came out. It finally got to the news. People were writing articles and finally the board did what they should have done before and investigated all the way through and found that the leadership that was a part of that mega church before was guilty of all the things they were accused of. So they let them go. So a year later, we're finally vindicated that why we left was a legitimate reason. But the people that doubted us before, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear it. And so we just continued on doing what we were doing. And I started out as a children's pastor there. It made sense. That's what I was doing before. And so it made sense that when we launched, it was, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to glorify the Lord. I'm going to pour my entire self into it. But I knew that it wasn't the thing that was super passionate on my heart, but it was what the body needed. And so eventually I transitioned into being the young adults pastor and started having more of a role in what we were doing 
as a core leadership team. And so what happened was, is we start going and finally we feel vindicated and we feel like we can move forward and stop thinking about the previous season. And as we're going, all of a sudden, some of the same behaviors, not, not sexual, got to be really, really upfront about that, that there was no sexual abuse or sexual manipulation going on, but there were some similar behaviors of manipulation and coercion and lying and deceiving behind the scenes that started to butt its ugly head. I started noticing false teaching more frequently from the pulpit where I'm starting to evaluate, you know, before I was a children's pastor, so I wasn't even in service. So I didn't know how prevalent it was. And so now I'm sitting in main service and I'm listening to what's being taught in, in almost every service. I'm like, man, like that's not the scriptures. It's not what the Bible says. And so I started bringing that forward. I'm not a shy person. As you, if any of you know me, I'm not a shy person. And so I started bringing some of those items up saying, hey, there's some things going on that we should probably correct. Some things that are being taught that aren't biblical. Let's go to the Bible. Let's talk about it together. Let's dive in together. And so what started to happen was there was a divide that started to be drawn between the head pastor and the rest of us staff. And all of a sudden we started seeing some of the same abuse of power that we saw at the megachurch. We saw some spiritual, emotional, mental abuse right in front of me. First person experience. I'm not talking third person. I'm not talking third person. And so what happened was, is it started to get out of control. It started to get worse. All of a sudden we had false accusations being stated against one of our staff members that was completely unfounded, completely untrue. And it was the head pastor that was behind the scenes lying and deceiving and telling everybody else on staff what this guy was doing. But we all knew that that wasn't in that guy's character. And so we started talking to each other and comparing notes going, wait a minute, this is what he told you? Yeah, this is what he told you? Yeah, that's what he told me. Okay, so we all have the same story of what is being told to us, but none of it was true. It was lies. It was deception. It was a power grab. It was an attempt to oust someone that he saw as a threat, right? We're seeing all this like crazy stuff that it has no place in a church staff with no authenticity, no genuine heart to reconcile. And so we bring it to him and we say, hey man, like we see that this is going on and it's affecting all of us and we think it's wrong. And man, we just want to get it all straight. Let's get everything straight. Let's heal. If you can repent, then we can reconcile these relationships that you've harmed. And he refused to. And so we brought it to the board. Now the board had just been formed. I mean, the third person got added, I think like a month or two before all of this went down. We had one board member for the majority of this church's existence. And so then we had a total of three people on the board right before all this happened. And we brought everything to them. We showed them all the evidence. We had empirical evidence as to what was going on. We talked about it at great length and it was their decision to move forward with him as their head pastor because they thought it would be too difficult to replace him as a head pastor. So they chose not to do the right thing 
And so the entire staff left. We all quit. We had a heart to reconcile. We had a heart to repair relationships. We had a heart to do it the right way, for truth to prevail, for love to prevail, for God's heart in this whole situation to come forward. But again, we saw a failure of a board to act the way that they were supposed to. And so we left. And so we went to the secular workspace and I've been there ever since. And so what happened was, is we left and man, it's taken me a long time to find any kind of healing because I see this failure of leadership across the board in in two churches that I invested my life into. I was working seven days a week. I was grinding and I was building and I was putting everything I had into it. And then for it to fall apart this way, and that was just the beginning. Because from there, I lost a lot. Everybody on staff that left in conviction, we've all lost. We've lost a good amount of friendships. Obviously, we lost influence. We lost worldviews that we had. I had a worldview of naivety from when I was a young boy of, of how the church was to operate and what it would be like to be a part of a church staff. Lost that. Lost connection to the body. And where I'm at now is this place where I've had to fight being jaded. I've had to fight having a hard heart. I've had to fight having a cold heart. And it hasn't been easy. This last season has been one of the hardest seasons of my life. But here's what's weird is I find myself in a really strange place where I'm good with the Lord. I'm good with my immediate family and a few close friends. But man, I feel disjointed everywhere else. And so I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear my heart because it's simple. I love the body so much that I'm willing to say the uncomfortable to help bring issues to light that are destroying the church from the inside out. I love the church. I love and believe in the body. But where we are is so far from where we should be. And so one of the biggest drivers behind this podcast, because I've been sitting on it for years, is that I've heard countless stories of people from around the country that are having similar problems and issues that have come up. This isn't just a local issue. This isn't just an issue for the two churches that I was a part of when I was on staff. The Western church has lost its way. And being a part of that machine gave me an insider perspective that now as I continue to process what it was like, the more grieved I've become at the current state of the Western church. And it's led me to ponder and to analyze what other fruit is this system producing? This is a systematic issue of the Western church. The church does not operate like this globally. The Eastern church doesn't have the same problems that we do. And it's because the Western church, especially in 2020, is driven by a system. And there is a system that has developed that enables leaders to abuse their power like I experienced in the churches that I worked for. 
And I've tried the, I'm going to join it and change it from within method. Guys, I gave it everything I had. And there was other people on staff that felt the same way. There were other people on staff that saw these issues and said, yeah, I want to join staff so I can be a part of changing that. And you want to know how far we got? We didn't because it's a common denominator. When we are operating within the system that we are in the Western church, no matter how hard we want to try to do it different, no matter how many mission statements we write, no matter how many programs we develop, no matter how many different types of worship sets we develop, it always comes back to these common denominators because our system lends to the abuse of power that I saw on multiple levels. And I just don't think it's the way. I don't think it's the way to to just try to join it, to try to change it. To me, that's like saying that you're dating someone so that they can become a Christian, right? Missionary dating doesn't work. (laughs) Or if it does, it's very rare, right? Where you're dating someone that you really like, but they're not Christians. And so your attempt to bring them into Christianity is by dating them, right? Missionary dating, it may work. I've heard a couple stories where it has, but man, they're rare. Most times, it does not work that way. Most times it works the opposite direction where they lead you astray rather than you leading them to the light. And in the same way, I just don't think you joining it to change it from within without there being a massive change to the system, I just don't know if that works. And so I have some observations. I have some observations of this system and how it works and how it's structured. And I have a list here that I've written out that I'm going to run through, but I want to be very clear that this is not an indictment of all churches, nor am I saying that all churches are failing in these ways. I really believe that there are plenty of pastors that are out there doing it the right way, that have hearts before the Lord, that have a desire to serve him in authentic and genuine way, that they have the heart to do it the right way, where they have a heart to do it with integrity and with character and to do it in a way that is glorifying to the Lord and helpful to the body. There are plenty of pastors out there. There are plenty of stories that I read. There are plenty of books that I read about pastors doing it the right way. So this is not an indictment saying that it is impossible for a church to do it the right way. Not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a increasing amount of wickedness that is pervasive in the church that is seeping through every nook and cranny of the church working its way in and it's causing so much toxic backlash. It is creating an environment where believers don't even want to go there anymore. I was listening to a podcast last week of two gals that were a part of a major mega church that everybody would know if I said the name And they were talking about how they couldn't be a part of their church anymore because they were blatantly doing things at the church that were against scripture. I mean, just flat out. And they're saying, listen, I don't even believe in the local church anymore. And what's really hard is that's the first place you want to go. That's the easy way to go. That's the easy way to start and say, hey, I just don't believe in doing church anymore. And that's not the answer. It's not. Because we need the church. We need the body. And the Bible talks about giving up meeting together too. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But guys, there are widespread issues that many churches in the Western church that are struggling with. And guys, I think it's leading us down a very dark path. So the first thing I want to address is this issue of celebrity culture. 
We have this celebrity culture pervading Christian circles where it elevates pastors far above where they should be, and that has led to widespread moral failings and abuse of power throughout everywhere. Which leads into the second point that there's business practices that are being elevated over biblical truth, right? How we use tithes, salaries, organizational structures, decision-making, how we structure a board, all types of things. We see business practices, which are great in the business world, being implemented for how churches should be run. And that's just not how it should be. The church is not a business. Now, I know they have to register as a nonprofit and they operate as a business, they have money coming in, money going out, all that. I get that. But what I'm saying is the core of how the church should be run is not as a business. And this lends to the abuse of power that I was just talking about from the celebrity culture. Because the higher someone goes, the more money they get, the higher they get within power. If they can structure the board how they want to, if they can place people on their board specifically that are echo chambers to themselves, they can get away with anything. And that's what happened at the mega church that I was at. The board was handpicked by the guy that was the main one abusing people. Weird how that worked, why it took years for him to be caught and for it to be handled. Weird. And I think that those two play together. But another thing that we see throughout the church that is massive problem is this moral relativism that has seeped into the church, where we bend verses and truth to match progressive agendas or appease the masses. Right? We live in a really strange time. We live in a time of cancel culture, right? Where everyone's scared to say anything because they don't want to be canceled. And I get that. I feel that every time I record a podcast, I don't want to say something that's going to get me put on blast on a national level and get canceled, right? Like, I don't want that. (laughs) But what's crazy is that pastors are choosing the route of moral relativism and backing off the truth, not teaching the truth, watering down the gospel to make it less offensive and introducing progressive agendas within their church where they're teaching that certain things aren't sin or they are sin or whatever that just isn't true, that they can't really back up by scripture, but they're going to teach it from the pulpit because it appeases the masses, that it tickles their ears. It's what they want to hear. Where we see churches that are backing off theological and doctrinal positions that have existed since the church began because it's easier. It's less offensive It matches an agenda that they believe in politically. Which leads to my next point. This issue of believers elevating their political party or leaders as a savior or a false idol or holding too much weight in their thoughts or their actions or their treatment of people. I have never seen believers act the way they have during this election. It has absolutely blown my mind and hurt me on a soul level to see how believers are treating each other, where literally both sides say, well, if you vote for Donald Trump, you can't be a believer. Or, well, if you voted for Joe Biden, then you can't be a believer. Neither one of those statements are true. Last time I checked, salvation was us acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins. 
that we repent from those sins, we follow after him with our life. I'm sorry, where in there does it talk about what political agenda I have to follow? I'm sorry, where does it say what political party I'm supposed to support? I'm sorry, where does it say that there's a Jesus and statement? That's not what salvation is. And yeah, it got ugly during this last election season. It got ugly. It was disgusting for me to see that believers were down in the mud just like everyone else was. We were acting just like the world. You couldn't distinguish between the world. And in some cases, Christians were acting worse than the world in how they were treating each other. Guys, whatever political party you support does not indicate if you're saved or not. Come on. You can support a party, but not every single issue that's within the party. Right? Christians should be voting based on how many issues they do support in a party, what values that they have, and if they have the majority of the values that you have, then you vote for that party. That's how you should vote. Just because you vote for a party doesn't mean you support every policy that they push through. That's not how it works, and that's intellectually dishonest to even believe that. But we've seen this elevation of these political parties and this elevation of political leaders where we're saying that we can't even be Christians unless X is in power. Dear Lord, that's not true. It's not true. Read your Bible. People were Christians under Caesar. They were under such bad authoritarian dictator rule and were believers and followed after Jesus with everything that they had. Don't give me this nonsense that you can only be a Christian if our political party that we support gets elected. Come on. That's, dis- that's so dishonest. And speaking of that, man, I, I, this whole COVID thing, this whole year has been awful for everybody. COVID has put a huge wrench. And like I talked about last week, there's some positives that can come from it, sure, but we have to address that people have died. We have lost people. We have lost how our society is run. There's so much we've lost. Small businesses have gone bankrupt, right? People have lost their wages. People have had to go on unemployment for the first time in their life. People have had to scrounge to make ends meet. I mean, this time has been awful, awful. And I'm like, this is a moment that the church should be standing up and loving the world and loving our country better than it ever has because everybody's hurting. Everybody's in hardship. Everybody has lost something or someone in this season. And yet the church, specifically churches that have private schools associated with them, are not acting Christ-like in the slightest. I see churches that are finding loopholes and operating outside of the rules that everybody else has to follow. Tell me, how is that a good witness to the world? First of all, you're not following Romans 13, right? You're not submitting to authorities unless it contradicts God's word and don't even go, oh, well, but Hebrews, oh, we'll talk about that. It talks about not giving up meeting together. It doesn't say how we're supposed to meet together. We can meet together on Zoom. Oop, there we go. Now all of a sudden it doesn't contradict God's word. See what I'm talking about? And so what I've even heard, so again, this isn't first person knowledge, but I've heard of churches that have schools that are associated with their church that have found a loophole where 
they are posing as child care workers where they had all their teachers go get daycare licenses so they can consider their school a daycare. And so then they can have it open when no other school in the area can. So the only schools that are open right now that can have in-person learning are these Christian schools that are associated with churches because they were able to find a loophole to evade the system. Tell me, how does that look? So you're talking about the families that are in public school right now that are struggling, that have to figure out how they're going to get their kids to do online school while both parents have to work full time and they're struggling to make ends meet and they're struggling to find ways to find their kids success in this season and they're doing everything they can to to put food on the table and to help their kids succeed and to do all their homework and to do all their work. What do you tell that family that is struggling because of the regulations that they have on the public school where kids can't go to school, but your son or or daughter can? What do you tell that family? How is that you witnessing to them? How is that demonstrating Christ to them? All you're demonstrating is that somehow you're entitled to do it differently than they are because you were able to find some rinky-dink loophole in the system to do it your own way. And what are the motives behind you doing it that way? You can hide behind all different types of stuff. Sure, you can hide, oh, well, we just want to give our kids a good education. Yeah, so does everybody. Well, well, we want to, you know, we want to do it in such a way where, you know, we don't even have to wear masks. And I'm like, listen, I don't even care what you feel about COVID. You may think that it's really serious. You may think that it's not serious at all. I don't care what you believe. You don't know what I believe. I haven't stated what my stance is on COVID on this podcast. I haven't because that's irrelevant in this conversation. It's irrelevant. Nothing that governor of Washington state has pushed forward in COVID regulations is against what the Bible says. Not one bit. Now, whether you agree with what he says or not, or whether you support him as a leader or not, is irrelevant. The government has instructed us to act in a certain way in this time, and we're called to obey that. Period. And when we find loopholes to do what we want outside of the system, that is not a, that is not a good witness. That is not a good witness. People see that and it makes them angry and bitter and resentful of the church. Tell me, how is that spreading the gospel to people? It's not, right? I read 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10, and, and really emphasize on verse 3 that kind of sums it up, which says, hey, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry may not be discredited. You have discredited people's minds about the church. You've discredited yourselves because you're choosing to find a loophole to do your own thing rather than abide what the government has told us to do. Guys, what are we doing? And lastly, the biggest issue that I see throughout the church right now is this surprising lack of empathy or compassion for the people the Bible directly commands us to love and to care for, right? The abused, the marginalized, the broken, the widows, the orphans, the hurting. I was reading Genesis this week, and I'm struck by the story of Sarah and Hagar because he is the God of Hagar and Sarah. Sarah was God's chosen for the promise of Abraham to be descendants of many, many generations, and he's going to have as many descendants as stars in the sky and 
All of that, right? That's the promise. That was through Sarah, right? Sarai first and then Sarah. But guys, he's also the God of Hagar. Where Hagar was not God's chosen for the promise to Abraham and was brought into this family line due to Sarai's impatience and sin. But God saw her and he gave her resources to succeed. So guys, where do we go from here? I just listed off a a handful of issues that the church is severely mishandling. And like I said, this isn't every church. Not every church deals with those issues. There might be churches out there that don't deal with any of those issues. They might have different problems of their own. But those are the major ones that I'm seeing that are prevalent throughout so many churches in this day and age. And guys, it's brutal to not be jaded. It's almost impossible to not become hard-hearted. I've lived there for the last year where literally I'm doing everything I can to break out of my jaded heart, my jaded mind. I don't want to give up hope for the church because of how it's acting right now. But I read the letters to the churches in Revelation where he's talking to the church of Ephesus in 2 verse 4 where he's saying, listen, you've left your first love. Come back. We all struggle with similar strifes where we have these mountaintop experiences where there's salvation and baptism and large milestones that are really exciting and fun. But as soon as we leave those large milestones and we start doing normal life again, it's so easy to lose our first love because we emphasize saying the prayer and salvation being a moment when salvation is really a heart space and a commitment, right? Then I read on to Matthew 24, 12, where he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. This is Jesus. This is Jesus giving us a warning, saying that as time progresses, it'll be easy for us as believers to become jaded because of the increase of wickedness. Don't allow your heart to be hardened or become jaded. Our love needs to be increased, not decreased in these times. We need to love those around us tenfold what we have in the past. Then we move on to Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25. I told you I was going to get to this later. People point to this when they talk about the COVID regulations where they say, oh, the Bible tells us not to give up meeting together, so we're not meeting together, so it breaks God's word and now it contradicts, so we can do whatever we want. False. This is what Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How we meet together is not specifically dictated for a reason. Nowhere in scripture does it say we have to meet on Sundays or in a building or sing three worship songs, listen to a 40 minute message, drink coffee and go home. None of those are biblical mandates. The mandate we have is to not give up meeting with one another. And that can take many different forms. And yes, that can even take a virtual form. So the caveat you have in your brain where you say that What you're doing is operating within the scriptures is false. It's false. We are called to obey our governing body, whether we want to or not, unless it contradicts God's word, which it has not. Simply, it has not. People that are claiming that COVID restrictions are persecution of the church is unbelievably short-sighted. It's just not true. It's not true. 
It's not persecution. And I've talked about that in a previous podcast, so I'm not going to go into that any further, but it's just not. It's not. There are actual people being persecuted all around the world for being believers. And people that are having to abide by COVID restrictions are not one of them. Guys, I, I have to talk about where we go from here because it's easy to be jaded, easy to be hard-hearted. It's easy to let your heart grow cold because of the wickedness that's happening. It's easy to give up meeting together and just give up hope when you start seeing the wickedness that's pervasive in the church. But my prayer is, is that people would have humility and softness of heart to repent and turn from our wicked ways. And I say our wicked ways. I am not speaking as someone that does not struggle. I am not someone without sin. I am a broken individual as well. And there are things that I need to repent for constantly. There's so many things I talk about on this podcast where I go home and I weep because I have to repent about the same things that I'm teaching. The same things. And I repent. And my prayer is that you would too. But guys, I also have hope. It may not sound like it. I know this podcast has been rough. I know that it has been to the point and to the core of some very difficult topics and issues. But I got to tell you, I have hope. I have hope that this system can be changed or completely upheaved and restarted. And the reason why is because we have history. We have history that it can be done a different way. I think about the example of Martin Luther, who wrote the 95 Thesis in 1517. Right, It's considered to be the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. You see, Luther saw brokenness in the church. <laughs> he saw the brokenness in the Roman Catholic Church and how they were operating. Namely, that they abused indulgences where they would charge people a fee for the forgiveness of their sin. And it wasn't that they were just charging them, which is completely unbiblical, by the way, but it also was what they were doing with the funds once they got them. They were paying off debts of individuals who individually used those funds to get in power and doing so by charging the poor to enrich those in power. So Martin Luther saw this issue in the Roman Catholic Church. He decided to do something about it. And he said, hey, guys, what we're doing is wrong. It's not biblical. And he went so far to nail the 95 Thesis to the door and started a reformation that led to the Protestant church, which is now all throughout the world and really common in the Western church. We don't have the Protestant church outside of Martin Luther. But I have further examples of hope throughout history. We see the first awakening in the 1730s and 40s in colonized America. Right In the the 1700s, Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason, came from Europe and made its way across the Atlantic Ocean to the American colonies. The era of enlightenment emphasized a scientific and logical view of the world where reason was elevated above all else, and it downplayed religion. There were some leaders, namely Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield of that time, that said, hey, this mentality is corroding our church. It is invading our church. And they said, hey, this is a problem. And so they did something about it. And so even though there were many leaders of that time that started the First Awakening that had different secondary doctrine backgrounds and styles, they came together to push this awakening that led to a massive revival in America. They said, hey, we all believe in the core of orthodoxy. Again, if you don't know what that is, go look that up. 
The core of orthodoxy is what all believers have to believe to consider themselves a Christian. If we can all agree on that, then secondary doctrine about how we take communion or how we do this or how we do that, that doesn't matter. Secondary doctrine doesn't matter. As long as we agree on the core of orthodoxy, let's go move this thing forward. And it led to a massive awakening in America. And then, guys, there was another one. There was a second great awakening in the 1790s, right? American preachers James McGreedy, John McGee, and Barton W. Stone were some of the few that led the beginning of the second awakening. I was a little less emotionally charged than the first, but they started doing these outside camp meetings that brought in tons of people. And their focus was a little different. Their focus was primarily on winning souls and philanthropy among all people. And they were a part of the push for the emancipation of women, being a voice for those that didn't have a voice at the time. The Second Awakening also started emphasizing the importance of education among preachers and pastors. Several Christian colleges, seminaries, and missionary societies began. So we see this Second Awakening where people got together and said, hey, we're missing the boat on people around us that have needs. So let's go preach the gospel, win souls, and help those that are least of these, aka the gospel, right? And they pushed this, and it led to a second great revival in America. And guys, I believe we're on the cusp of a third awakening. Now, to be clear, I do not consider myself to be Martin Luther. I don't consider myself to be a prophet, but I do see the breakdown of the modern church, the wickedness that has seeped in and permeated through how everything is run in a systematic way. Every time in scripture we see similar breakdowns, the Lord brings about massive upheaval and change for the better. And so I'm hopeful. I'm not jaded. My heart isn't hard. I've had to grow and I've had to heal because I'm hopeful that we can correct or replace the system that produces abuse that we can follow how the Bible outlines us to meet together, to gather in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. Guys, I have a convalescent heart. I'm repairing. I'm recovering. I'm growing. And if you've been hurt by the church, I pray that you would find the path of healing too. And so my hope is that if you were encouraged by this podcast because someone else is saying the things that you have been thinking, but no one else has really said out loud, my prayer is that you'd help be a part of the solution, that you wouldn't just sit in the criticism of the body. My hope is that if you were convicted by this podcast because you may have been a part of these systems and how they acted, that you would have a softness of heart to hear the word, repent, and seek what the Lord wants to adjust in your life. And lastly, my hope is that if you feel discouraged by this podcast, that you wouldn't be. I have hope that we can turn and follow the Lord the way we are supposed to as the local, national, and global church, and you should too. This isn't the first time in history that the church has needed to change course, and it might not be the last. But I do know one thing for sure, that we are all in this together, that we need each other. We need the body. We need the local church. We need the global church. We need reform. So let's change it together. This is Forging the Word with Trevor Horton.